Revolution is not being televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. On 90.7 FM KPFK. I'm Rick Allen. And I'm Brittany Gallagher. On Digital Village, we're bringing you stories about the internet and technology and how they're shaping culture and changing every aspect of our lives. How it's glorious and awe-inspiring, but can also have a dark side and maybe how we can prevent some of its abuses. On this week's episode of Digital Village, Leilani Albano continues our coverage of Election 2020 and talks to Carol Moon Goldberg, the president of the League of Women Voters of California. There are many ways to suppress voters. One is to block the polling places and not let people in. That's pretty overt, pretty obvious to see. But there are subtle ways to suppress vote and slowing down the mail is one of those. Undermining the confidence of the people in the post office to handle the vote-by-mail ballots is also a harder to quantify a way of suppressing the vote because it discourages people from using the process. And, and compile that with repeated claims that vote-by-mail is inherently open to mass fraud does make people think twice about doing it and worry about doing that. More with Carol Moon Goldberg in the second half of the show. But first... As most listeners know by now, Donald Trump has issued an executive order banning the video app TikTok from doing business with American companies starting on September 20th. Since the initial news release, we've learned a few more possibly political reasons why this decision was made, and more importantly, what would be the consequences, not only for TikTok's users, but for other businesses and individuals needing to communicate with their counterparts in China. With us today to sort these matters out is Ryan Fonder, entertainment business reporter for the LA Times. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to Digital Village. Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. We have some news that's hot off the presses here, and one of them was an article that you wrote for the LA Times that the CEO, Kevin Mayer, he is exiting TikTok. Does that mean a sale may be near? Well, so basically what happened was Kevin Mayer joined TikTok. Well, his, he announced that he was joining TikTok from the Walt Disney Company about three months ago. So the fact that he's exiting now is probably not necessarily a record for executive departure speed, but it's pretty darn close. So basically what happened was you know, he walked into this company when it was pretty apparent that there was going to be some kind of political controversy surrounding TikTok, its use of data, and its ties to China. But that escalated in a way that a lot of people probably did not predict at the time. And long story short, his role as CEO ended up looking a lot different from what it had previously looked like it was going to be. For one thing, he was going to be not only in charge of TikTok in the U.S., but basically going to have a major role at the Chinese parent company ByteDance. And Trump's executive order to essentially force the sale of uh, U.S. operations of TikTok made that role, which was going to be a global purview, into something that was going to be much uh, smaller and more centralized in the U.S. And uh, frankly, a lot less attractive, especially if it ends up getting swallowed up by a much larger company. And that's the next breaking news is is that there have been talks earlier with maybe Microsoft buying TikTok, but now of all <laughs> all the companies we can think of, Walmart? That's right, Walmart. Walmart on Thursday confirmed that it, it plans to join Microsoft's bid for TikTok. 
which on the surface is kind of a head-scratcher. You've got this kind of fuddy-duddy, old-fashioned retail chain looking to buy up the, the app that teens use to spur viral dance crazes. But if you look at it in terms of what Walmart's working with now, trying to compete with Amazon online, it actually makes a little bit of sense. TikTok has a huge reach with the youth market. Walmart's always wanted to be more digital in order to take on Amazon. And this could give them a lot of clout in terms of advertising and marketing and reaching a younger audience. Yes. Do you know if Microsoft and TikTok were in talks before Trump's executive order saying he's going to ban? Were they in talks before that? It looks like they were. Microsoft has been interested in TikTok for a while. Microsoft has been kind of behind its tech rivals in the social media space, which is one reason why they would be interested. And another is Microsoft is really big in cloud computing, and having TikTok would presumably give them a giant internal customer. And having TikTok basically be the face of uh, Microsoft's back-end cloud computing platform is is a pretty big get for a company like that. So does that mean Donald Trump won't be getting his finder's fee? (laughs) (laughs) Well, not clear exactly what's going to happen with that. I think people thought that the fact that Trump was asking for a finder's fee for her, uh, so quote-unquote facilitating a sale was questionable and that that might cool Microsoft's interest, but apparently a deal is probably going to be done sooner rather than later. One of the things I want to talk about, there's TikTok, ByteDance, its parent company, then there's Tencent, and maybe most importantly, WeChat. Could you sort these out for us? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, ByteDance is the Chinese-based parent company of TikTok. It has its own app in China, which is somewhat similar. Tencent is the parent company of WeChat. People think of WeChat specifically as sort of a combination of like PayPal and text messaging and Facebook Messenger. People basically use it to communicate with expats between uh, U.S. and China. If you're doing business in China, that is pretty much how you communicate. My colleague Wendy Lee talked to someone there who basically said, yeah, I don't have phone numbers, really. I communicate with everyone on, on WeChat. So if Trump were successful in banning WeChat in the U.S. or whatever form this executive order actually takes, that could have a you know, significant impact on how people communicate, depending on how, how the law is actually interpreted. And also it would affect uh, Hollywood businesses from what I uh, read from one of your reports. Yeah, it could. Hollywood businesses use WeChat to uh, communicate. Hollywood does a lot of business in China. It's the second biggest uh, box office market for Hollywood movies. The studios use WeChat to market films and uh, other products in China because basically it gives them an advantage because you can issue promotions directly to consumers instead of just putting them out in the ether and hoping people see them. So it's a pretty good tool. And also uh, Disneyland Shanghai uses it for people who are just buying tickets. So that's pretty significant, too. It's not clear from how the executive order is written what exactly would be banned and what uses of WeChat would be banned and for whom they would be affected. There are a lot of interpretations out there. They're like, well, this is pretty narrow. 
it wouldn't really affect that much. But if the order is written in such a vague way, there are a lot of attorneys that worry that it could have broader implications. And do you think Trump did this uh, to echo all his disputes with uh, China? (laughs) Well, there's no doubt that, that this comes amid the escalating trade war between the U.S. and China, especially Hollywood, has really been a punching bag politically for uh, the Trump administration since the first election. I mean, you see that when Trump administration officials and Republican politicians are going out accusing Hollywood studios of kowtowing to China for their censorship uh, requirements for gaining access to that market. Now, that is definitely true that Hollywood alters its content to gain access to the Chinese market, but there's no doubt that all of this has been politicized because this is an election year and Trump has always used Red China as the enemy. Yeah, the boogeyman. I do want to talk about the latest news before our breaking news was that TikTok and an employee representing fellow workers is suing Trump over the constitutionality of his administration's executive order. Do you think they feel they can win such a suit or is it just a stalling tactic or perhaps both? Well, the main lawsuit that you referenced, there's a couple arguments that TikTok is making. One is that Trump doesn't necessarily have the authority to actually ban TikTok or ban transactions. I think that would be a tougher case for them to make, given the executive power that the president holds. And the other argument is that the president just hasn't given them enough time to explore their options. I mean, the executive order was 45 days and you're out, basically. That's a pretty quick timeline to solidify a 30 to $40 billion transaction. So probably a likelihood that is a, some kind of stall tactic, hopefully on their part, buy some time to actually solidify a sale and, and, get, a, and get a good deal for their asset in the U.S. and, and elsewhere. But uh, yeah, or it's that. I don't, I don't really know how seriously people view the actual merits of the case. Right. Now, how much truth is there? Of course, TikTok denies it, but how much truth is there in the fact that China is uh, basically getting all the information of TikTok users and everyone else involved, privacy, etc.? Yeah, I mean, that's the big worry that both TikTok and WeChat's access to data and their ties to China combined to create a national security threat for the U.S. and users. No particular concern because of TikTok's popularity with teens. So TikTok will, of course, up and down deny that it uh, gives its data to the Beijing government and that it even would when asked. The administration hasn't really produced any evidence that that has happened already. But then again, you talk to experts who know a lot about China and the way government and business are intertwined. The idea that these companies could actually just say no to the demands of the Chinese government, I think there's some doubt about that. And then there's the India connection. Not only has already banned TikTok, maybe not because of the privacy thing, but because of a border dispute with China. But as a result, other companies are moving into the vacuum left to cash in on the popularity of the platform. And not the least of these is L.A.-based video short-form company called Triller. Do you know how far along that deal might be? 
Yeah, Triller's an interesting case because if you look at the, the history, before this ban took hold, or before the pending ban was issued by the Trump administration, Triller really wasn't on people's radar as, a, as an app. It was founded a few years ago as a music video editing tool by, by two guys, and it wasn't taken all that seriously. Then suddenly there's this opening in the market, and lo and behold... Here comes Triller with a big public push to get people on its app. Some TikTok users, some TikTok creators have migrated over, you know, just as kind of a hedge, mostly, I think. The other interesting thing about Triller is that its main backer, its majority owner, in fact, is this company called Proxima Media, which is owned by a Hollywood mogul named Ryan Kavanaugh, who is best known as the founder of Relativity Media. Relativity Media was a Hollywood studio, sort of mini-major studio that made films like Limitless and sort of positioned itself as the next big thing in entertainment. Kavanaugh himself was known for going around town and saying he had an algorithm that would essentially weed out Hollywood flops and pick, not necessarily pick winners, but, but at least make so data-centric that they wouldn't lose that much money and would be mostly profitable and deliver a steady turn on investment uh, in a business that is not known for its stability. That venture crashed and burned and went Chapter 11 bankruptcy in 2015 and is basically uh, defunct at this point. Ah. My last question is, how about the rumor that Twitter is a possible suitor, which is probably still kicking itself for dumping its short-form video app Vine, which it failed to invest in in the first place? Right. I think I think the worst thing that could happen, or at least from the, from the TikTok creators' perspective, you know, people who post videos on TikTok and generate an audience that way, would see that as Vine all over again and would probably be pretty worried about that and fight. That's why when this happened, a lot of people started jumping to other platforms. Twitter hasn't really commented one way or another on its interest in buying TikTok, I don't think. And it does seem like Microsoft and Walmart are currently in the poll position uh, because the deal does make a certain amount of and they clearly have the, the financial wherewithal to pull it off. Okay, we'll wrap it up on that note. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Good to be here. That was Ryan Fonder, entertainment business reporter for the LA Times. And he and Rick were discussing President Trump's ban on TikTok and what companies are interested in getting their hands on it. Let's remind everyone that you're listening to Digital Village on Fearless Radio on 90.7 FM KPFK, Los Angeles. I am very briefly joined by Nothing Is Secure's Roy Natian to talk about how to protect your phone if you're at a protest. If you want to be 100% safe, don't bring your phone, but for many people that's not an option. So here's some things you can do. One is keep your phone off until you actually really need to use your phone. That way devices that can intercept your cell signal can't be used to track you. Another thing you can do is don't use your regular phone and text messaging apps. Use an app called Signal. You can check it out at signal.org. It encrypts your messages and phone calls. Then you also have to prepare for the possibility of your phone getting seized and searched. One way to protect against that is to make 
sure your phone is locked with a passcode. Don't use Face ID or fingerprints to unlock your phone. Use a strong passcode. That way you can't be compelled to use your body to unlock your phone. On top of that, to make things a bit more secure, iOS already encrypts, but for Android phones, look in your security settings on how to encrypt your phone. And related to this, keep your phone locked. Pretty much all phones allow you to record with your phone lock. And another thing that can be used is your phone's location history. So in addition to turning off your phone's location services, there's a bunch of information that your phones track and keep on them. One of these is iOS's significant location. So it actually tracks where you go, how long you stay there and builds up a database of like important places to you. So you can actually just look up online how to delete significant locations and turn that off for Apple phones. And this next thing applies to both Apple and Android phones, you can have your location tracked with Google Maps. So unless you turn this off, Google saves a record of where you've traveled to and how long you stay there and a pretty detailed map. So all these things can help you be more secure while using your phone at a protest. Thanks, Roy. Digital Village has been bringing you the cyber news stories and in-depth interviews you won't hear anywhere else to help you navigate the latest in digital technology. Including the information needed to help you guarantee fair voting, keep the internet neutral, and protect yourself online. Please take the important step of giving a gift to help KPFK continue to bring you not only information, news, and culture, but also the sense of joy, relief, and community you've come to expect from us. You can donate right now to keep this glorious, independent, listener-sponsored radio flourishing by going to kpfk.org forward slash pledge. Thanks again. As part of Digital Village's decades-long coverage of how to work around failures in voting machine irregularities, we have recently been discussing the alternative voting by mail. To that point, following a massive public outcry, Trump-appointed Postmaster General Louis DeJoy announced that he has halted cost-cutting moves to the post office until after the November elections. They include removing hundreds of mail-sorting machines and local mailboxes, cutting overtime hours for postal workers, and slowing down mail delivery in general. But voting right advocates say that unless DeJoy reverses all those recent changes, mail-in voting remains in jeopardy. With us to talk about the issue is president of the League of Women Voters of California, Carol Moon Goldberg. She spoke with Digital Village reporter Leilani Albano. There have been changes as well as attempted changes. Can the post office ensure that our votes are safe at this time? From what we understand, there may be possibilities that mail and specifically vote-by-mail ballots will be delivered slowly, perhaps too late to be effective, that they won't get in voters' hands in time for them to return them so that they can't be counted. And on the other end, some concern that the ballots won't arrive at the registrar's office to be counted in time to meet the statutory deadlines for counting. So at this point, we're still in danger. It appears to be so. It, time will tell, unfortunately, but at this point, there is a possibility that there will be a problem. What was the Friday Night Massacre? What did it accomplish? The Friday Night Massacre is just a pejorative way of talking about how a number of high USPS officials were removed from their jobs. And the fear is that these people were experienced people who understood how to run the post office and that they would be replaced by people who didn't know how to run the post office. And that can create havoc in, inside of 
the post office or really any entity, whether it's a government agency or a business. There were some operational changes conducted, even though it was suspended at a later date. Can you tell us about some of those? One that was seen as fairly significant was prohibiting overtime for postal workers. There was that concern that when you have high volume, such as a lot of vote-by-mail ballots, there was concern that certain mail sorting machines were being decommissioned and actually removed when they might have been useful to handle the anticipated volume of vote-by-mail ballots. There was concern also about the removal of the blue pickup boxes that are scattered across our cities and neighborhoods, which would reduce the ability of someone to just you know, walk down and drop something in the mail. There was also concern that the vote-by-mail ballots would not be handled and treated as if they were first-class mail, that instead they would be treated as junk mail, which has a lower priority and a higher volume, which again would slow down delivery. So as previously mentioned, Postmaster General DeJoy did suspend the changes, but it seems like the damage has already been done. This is not in terms of voting by mail ballots, but just in terms of deliveries of prescription drugs. Many seniors and veterans receive their medications through the mail, as do many other people who are privately insured, too. Social Security checks were not being received on time, even though many people have it direct deposited to their banks. That's not true for everyone, and that is desperately needed money and, and should not be slowed down. So would suspending the changes be enough? We don't think so. We'd like to see a restoration of the standards that were in existence beforehand to make sure that it works properly. DeJoy dismissed claims that he was trying to sabotage votes, but Selena Stewart, Senior Director of Advocacy and Litigation with your organization, stated in a Washington Post article that the slowdown is another tool in the toolbox of voter suppression. What are your thoughts? I agree with that. There are many ways to suppress voters. One is to block the polling places and not let people in. That's pretty overt, pretty obvious to see. But there are subtle ways to suppress vote, and slowing down the mail is one of those. Undermining the confidence of the people in the post office to handle the vote-by-mail ballots is also harder to quantify a way of suppressing the vote because it discourages people from using the process. And, and compile that with the repeated claims that vote-by-mail is inherently open to mass fraud. It does make people think twice about doing it and worry about doing that. And can you talk about claims of voter fraud? How much of that is an issue? There have been numerous studies on the extent of voter fraud with vote-by-mail, and there have been passingly small numbers. So it's a theoretical fear. It's, it's fear-mongering. I think in uh, rural areas, there is a big dependence on the U.S. Postal Service for packages and, and all sorts of things that FedEx and UPS and those other private companies find too costly to um, operate in the rural areas because people are more spread out in areas that have a large percentage of what I would call senior citizens who are accustomed to getting mail and not as dependent on Internet services. It's very, very important to them as well. Some states have moved deadlines so that voters can cast ballots earlier or vote by absentee ballot. But will it be enough to save votes? I don't know about saving. I do think that it will be effective to give people more options to cast their vote. That's the point. I don't know of any states that are actually closing down polling places and doing nothing but mail except for Oregon, Washington, Colorado, and I believe Hawaii. But they've been doing this for years, so they don't actually have polling places. I guess what people are asking is, what is the best way to vote? I think they're just nervous not to vote, to vote, put it in the mail, not put it in the mail. What do you tell people in California? 
I tell people in California that they have three options and they just need to pick the one that works best for their personal circumstances. If you choose to vote by mail, as in return the ballot in a mailbox, do it several days early. Don't just wait for Election Day. It will be counted if it is postmarked on Election Day and arrives in the elections office up to 17 days after Election Day. But don't mess around. Just put it in the mail earlier. That will also reduce the volume. You can also use the same process but go to what we call a drop box, which are maintained by county elections scattered across the jurisdiction wherever you happen to be. Many times in libraries, you know, public places where people are passed through, those are secured boxes. They can't be tampered with. They are supervised. And if you like putting your ballot into a box and knowing it's going to the elections office that day, then do that. You can also take that same ballot to any voting location in your county so that, again, it will be counted. You will get it there on time. And again, a more official feel for those who want to get the I voted sticker. There's a feeling of accomplishment there. So that can be done at any time during the early voting days. It can be done on election day. And you don't want to use those ballots at all. You can show up in person. Polling places will be open anywhere from three to 11 days. You'll have to check the location and find out what their hours are and how many days they're open. But you can still do that. And can you tell us about Voters Edge? Voters Edge is the League of Women Voters of California online voters guide. It is optimized for mobile devices, and it is a place where you can go in, type in your address, and you can find your personalized ballot. You can find the closest voting location to you. You will find information about the candidates that are running for the various offices on your ballot. You will find information about the statewide ballot propositions. Is there a ballot tracking tool? Yes. The Secretary of State's office has instituted one and made it available across California. It is called Where's My Ballot? Type that into your search engine. It should pop right up. What is the best case scenario for the post office and for voters at this point? The best case scenario is that whatever has been damaged is repaired and the Postal Service is back to operating the way it was before. I will point out, remember it's uh, holiday times, probably starting after Halloween is over. Suddenly our mailboxes get filled with catalogs and greeting cards, holiday cards, all of that stuff, which is first class mail. The post office can handle that if they're not crimped. If they are allowed to pay for overtime, if that's what they need in order to handle the volume, if if they have the equipment they need in order to do that. I think the best case scenario is to get it back to what it was before things were changed and, and hopefully to make it better. Well, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. That was Carol Moon Goldberg, president of the League of Women Voters of California. She spoke with Digital Village reporter Leilani Albano. This election is a critical one. Remember to check your voter registration status early and come up with a voting plan that feels best for you come November 3rd. And here in California, you can check the status of your ballot at wheresmyballot.sos.ca.gov. That's it for this week's edition of Digital Village. I'm Brittany Gallagher at In a Quantum World. You can hear this episode again by subscribing to our podcast or going to kpfk.org and clicking audio archives and search for Digital Village. You can also follow us on all things social using at Digital V Radio or at digitalvillage.org. A special thank you to Digital Village reporter Leilani Albano. 
Digital Village and KPFK relies on you, our listeners. You can pledge your support for KPFK online at kpfk.org forward slash pledge. Thanks for listening to Digital Village. I'm Rick Allen. And I'm Brittany Gallagher. And we'll we'll see see you online. online.